Well, tonight we are in Exodus chapter 4, finishing up this chapter, hopefully. And um, as you remember back, God said to Moses, go to the children of Israel, and here's the three signs. All three signs pointed to the cross. First, it was the serpent. And we looked at that, how in John 3, where Jesus says, if, when the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. Hey, Kurt, go ahead and pass them out to everybody so they have them for afterwards. And, um, and so then the hand inside the heart, if you would, and then brought the hand out, leprosy. We're going to read that in Leviticus 13 and study. It's clearly a picture of a person being forgiven from sin. And of course, leprosy was a permanent condition, like sin is a permanent condition unless God intervenes. And then the water turning to blood. And it was from the sight of Jesus, water and blood came forth. Jesus came, it tells us in 1 John, by the water and the blood. And then Moses begins his argument with the Lord, first of all, telling him, well, my mouth doesn't work so well. Now, we know back in Acts 7.22, it says he was a man mighty in speech. So something that happened maybe in the 40 years, now he's 80 years old, possibly. Get 80 years old, you don't talk as well, I don't think, as when you're younger. Most 80-year-old people I know don't, don't have a booming voice. Of course, J. Vernon McGee did, and I'd have to say Chuck did too, even when they got older. But... Um, Nevertheless, it was just an excuse, and the Lord quickly dashed that one by saying, I'll be with your mouth. And, uh, and then the Lord says, by the way, your speech impediment was not an accident. I purposely made it so your mouth works the way it works. And you're saying it's not the right mouth for the job, and I'm telling you it's the mouth I made for the job. I didn't want some great orator to take the word of God to the children of Israel or to Pharaoh. But I wanted a humble man who Moses indeed was. Now, you might remember back in Exodus 3.19, he let Moses know, as he's going to do again in this chapter, by letting him know, "I, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So Moses is trying to get out of the job, and, and in essence, the Lord says, it is a hard job, and it is going to be a time of confrontation. It's going to be time of, of uh, struggle. It's going to be a battle. Yes, I'm, I'm calling you at 80 years old, off the bench, into the game, and yes, it's not going to be an easy thing. Matter of fact, later in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, he says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt. So the plan all along was that there would be this season that there would be a resistance by Satan, if you would, <laughs> through, through the Pharaoh, but yet God would overcome the powers of the enemy, the devil, those who are holding his children in bondage. 
Great picture again of Christ and what he has done for us in the New Testament. Well, now we go to verse 13. But he said, oh my God, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may send. Now notice the next verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he will speak, he speaks well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words into his mouth, and I will, put, I will be with your mouth still, and I'll also be with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. Wow, interesting. The roles are going to sort of change here, as you take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So we're seeing here God's permissive will. Out of concession, knowing the stubbornness and Moses is just not going to agree to be the, the main person. He was, you know, Moses wanted to fly under the radar and nobody noticed he was there. (laughs) If I got to be there, I don't want anybody to notice me. Let Aaron be the focal point. And and we learn this, right, In, in, in Romans 12, that we can get the good and acceptable, but yet we want to get the perfect will of God, don't we? God is not looking for people with great abilities. He is looking for people who will make themselves available. Often, the things that God chooses are not the great and the able and the honorable and the rich and the famous and the most intelligent. God often chooses the weak and the base things, the things that really of themselves don't have great ability but yet they'll make themselves available. And so we see out of concession, God says, okay, you're not going to get my perfect will, but we'll use Aaron and everything's going to sort of change because now you're going to speak to him like I speak to you. And so you're going to sort of mess up the paradigm here because it's going to seem sort of weird because now instead of God speaking to Moses, you're going to be sort of, God speaking to Aaron. And again, I I think the Lord is not speaking going, oh, this is going to be great. It's like, this is what I have to deal with and live with because of your unwillingness. And I just think it's a, a moment in time to say, Lord, am I saying I'm available and willing, but yet there's some areas of my life that I'm unwilling <laughs> to let you open that closet door and clean it out. I'm unwilling to shine a light in this place or that place because I know I'll be held more accountable or people will then have a higher expectation of me if they know I'm a Christian. And uh, we need to come back to that place to say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I don't want to bear 20-fold or 40-fold or 60-fold. I want to bear 100-fold. And we're going to find out that this thing with Aaron does not work out so well. (laughs) 
he's going to be building a golden calf and turning the whole nation towards idolatry moments after Moses leaves to go get the Ten Commandments. Later, him and his sister get upset with Moses and, and God has to punish them both for their rebellion to Moses. And so, really, Aaron was chosen out of concession, not the perfect will of God. Now, it's going to be a hard job, and, and a lot of people don't want that job. Matter of fact, you know what? When you go through the Bible, you find a lot of people didn't want the job God wanted them to have, starting with the very next guy, Joshua, right? He, was, he pulled to Moses, and, and God says, nope, you're not getting out of it. And he goes, but I'm afraid. I'm inadequate. I can't do it. And uh, all the men of Israel have to come and encourage him and say, hey, God's with you, Joshua, just like he was with Moses. Let the word of God not depart from your mouth, and you'll accomplish all that God has for you to do. But uh, he, he never really led with great confidence. And uh, I think of Jeremiah. You know, he, he said, man, I can't speak. I'm just a youth. I'm just a young guy who's going to respect me. And, and God said, don't, don't uh, look at your youth. Don't look at that. Don't be dismayed at their faces. Don't say, I'm this little young guy and you're this big, you guys are these big rich uh, businessmen and, and civic leaders and spiritual leaders. And you no, know, they're not listening to me, um, Jeremiah. That's why I need you to speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm going to put forth... Uh, my word and touch your mouth. Interesting. And you will speak what I've told you to say. Ezekiel, boy, he, he didn't want the job either. He just said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid of their words. I'm, I'm dismayed um, when I think about them. And God says, don't be dismayed when you hear their words, when you see them. But you'll speak my words to them. Whether they hear or whether they refuse. Now, when you look at most of these cases, they didn't have a lot of success. Moses didn't have great success. Joshua didn't have great success. Jeremiah ended up spending a lot of his time in prison and, and in pits, and he didn't have great success. Isaiah didn't have great success. Ezekiel didn't either. The people didn't listen to him, but God said, hey, if I tell you that destruction's coming, and you don't warn them, then the blood's on your hands. But if you tell them and warn them, and then they don't turn from their wicked way and destruction comes, then you're free from the blood of their hands. But you now know, so you got to go speak. And then, of course, Jonah. He was probably the most reluctant guy in the whole Old Testament, right? He got on a boat to go to Nineveh to get away from God's call on his life to go speak to the wicked Assyrians. So it's not an unusual thing to not want to put your place, put yourself in a difficult life. Life's already hard, isn't it? And now you do the will of God and it really gets hard. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, blessed are those who persecute, are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's, Jesus says to his disciples, yep, 
I'm going to be putting my word in your mouth like I did all the men through the Old Testament. And they were reviled. They were persecuted. They had smear campaigns where they just said all kinds of evil things about them falsely. It's a hard thing to go through. And we're going to see this for sure with Moses and with Aaron. Um, get double-barreled shotguns on them many times when the people turn against them. Well, interesting that God did get angry at Moses over Moses saying, think it's a great plan, Lord, and, and use whomever you like. I am. <laughs> it's you. No, 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 not me. I, I'm, I'm not a choice. I'm not on the table. I am completely unwilling. Wow. And God was angry. You know, God doesn't ask us to have some great strength of our own, some great insight of our own, some great wisdom of our own. He really does just want a willing heart. We were talking about this Monday night with the, some of the leaders, and we, we came to that Second Chronicles 16, 9 verse, where it said, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is loyal to him or surrendered, willing, just, Lord, here I am. I love Isaiah when the Lord told him the plight. Here is the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? And Isaiah got it right, didn't he? Well, whomever you'd like, just not me. <laughs> what did Isaiah say there in Isaiah 6, 8? Here I am, send me. And then God said, I'm glad you volunteered. Now, let me tell you, they're not going to listen to you. <laughs> they're, they're not one person's going to be affected in a positive way, but I still want you to go and speak the word to them. Well, moving on to Exodus 4.18. So the burning bush is over, and Moses comes out of the foothills there, and, he, and Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Think of this just a moment. You got this 80-year-old man <laughs> who just heard from God, but yet he really was the meekest man on earth. Wasn't he? In total submission, in total humility, he comes and still asks, under the human authority, would you please let me go? And he waits to get the permission. As you look, you'll see that humility and submission go hand in hand. A humble person is a submitted person. A submitted person is indeed a humble person. But Moses recognizes his authority, and later we're going to hear he's the most humblest man on earth. Well, verse 19, now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. <laughs> I love this. You know, it was just the rod he had as a shepherd, but it's no longer Moses's simple old shepherd rod, is it? Now it's a mighty rod of God. This is an instrument of the Lord. This thing he's been carrying around for 40 years as a shepherd is now going to be used mightily in the hand of God. 
Well, in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, here it is, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And we talked about this in Genesis where that word also means preeminent one. Um, The firstborn would be the one to inherit everything, but also meant the superior one. Israel is, of all the people on the earth, my superior people. So I say to you, let my son go that, they, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Whoa, <laughs> everything was fine until that last line, you know? You can be pretty much a politician, but as soon as you add that last line in there, you know, all politics are gone, <laughs> you know? All uh, trying to smooth things over are gone. So, hey, yeah, we're going to go. You need to let our people go. And, um, oh, if you don't, I'm going to kill your child. Whoa. Okay. But again, we're really not surprised that Pharaoh's heart is hard (laughs) when when that kind of line comes, right? I mean, every king is going to, you know, put the hair up on the back of his neck and say, who do you think you are talking to me? And who says God's going to kill my son? I'm going to kill his son and your son for even saying that. You know, that's, you know, you're not really surprised that he hardened his heart. As we go through there, we're going to see that Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. Pharaoh's heart is just hardened, period. Nobody did it necessarily. And and it's an interesting thing that we're going to see as we go through that. But again, so many scriptures on this that we just need to fall on our face and say, Lord, you are God, and I am not. And, and I recognize you and your sovereignty. Well, Romans 9 talks about this. We're not going to read the whole chapter tonight. But God makes it clear throughout the history of Israel, God has put his thumb on the scale of history when he wants when he desires to make his ends complete. And there in Romans 9, let's skip down to verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not to him who wills or nor him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. You say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So, you know, the the potter's making a plate and the plate goes, I want to be a cup. What's the potter going to do? You know, you're a big, so you over there in the corner. Uh, You know, the potter's going to do what he wants with the clay. So God, he's the creator. It's his, it's his field. (laughs) It's his game. He invented it. It's his ball. It's his bat. 
If you go up and say, I don't want three bases, I want 10 bases. It's like, get out of here, go find your own planet. Oh, you can't make your own planet. Oh, okay, you must not be God. Well, I am. And this is the way things work. It doesn't say that God does it in verse 22, but he gives a hypothetical where he says, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared before for glory, even us on whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. When I read this passage and I look at this story of Pharaoh, I literally just, in my heart, just fall on my face and go, God, you are Lord. You are king. All power is yours. All wisdom is yours. All knowledge is yours. You alone are the, at the beginning and you alone will be at the end. It's, it's you, God. You have all control and power and we do not. And if I find myself on the wrong side of where God wants me, I immediately, as soon as I identify that, just want to fall on my face. And interesting enough, as we study through the Bible, we're going to find this. We're going to find it on a number of occasions, actually. You know, right off the bat, I just think of Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) He has this dream, and, and Daniel says, humble yourself, king, because this dream isn't good. It means that you're going to be prideful and God's going to have to humble you. And remember Nebuchadnezzar, he said, look at all that I have done. And right there when the words were in his mouth, he was struck as an animal. And he, he grazed in the field with the cows. His hair grew out, the feathers of the bird, his fingernails like the claw of a bird. For seven years, he was insane. And at the end of those seven years, his senses came back. And there in Daniel chapter 4, it's one of the most awesome little poems or I don't know how you would say it, a homily that, that Nebuchadnezzar put together. But he said, God has all power. As of man, we are nothing before him. We are but dust. <laughs> and he humbles whom he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And as for me... <laughs> From this point forward, I recognize who God is and who I'm not. And he really is broken. And I believe we'll see him in heaven. It's quite a, a powerful moment. We see this through the scripture. And unfortunately, Pharaoh uh, doesn't get the memo on that. Well, now prepare yourselves, buckle up, because we're getting ready to see a shocking, sobering, strange story in verse 24 to 26. And it came to pass on the way, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. What? Yep, you got it right. The Lord met Moses and was going to kill him. Then Zephora, that's Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now, the thing you find out about this story immediately is there's not enough verses. (laughs) We're left with a lot of questions. But what we know for sure, I think, is 
Moses didn't circumcise his kid, at least one of them. And his wife was evidently the one telling him, you're not going to do that crazy Hebrew stuff down here in Midian. We're Midianites. My son's a Midianite. My father Jethro is a priest of Midian, and, and we don't do that circumcision stuff here. Maybe it didn't go so well on the first son. We don't know. But she was standing in the way, and Moses, instead of being the leader and, and forcing the issue, said, okay, it's on you, but we won't do it. So why is this unexpected, violent outburst from God? I mean, God just went to all this work to get him to go down to Egypt. He, you know, it sort of surprised me when Moses was packing up all his family to go with him. That sort of made me go, was that supposed to happen? I don't remember God saying your whole family's going, but okay. Um, but nevertheless, after working so hard on getting him to go to Egypt, all of a sudden now, as soon as he gets going, he's going to kill him. Well, he can't go to Egypt dead. So, it, But it's something here is Moses should have clearly known, but he didn't know, or he, God was pressing it upon his heart, but he was, again, unwilling, just like we saw him, send whomever you want, Lord, just not me. It seems like there's this lack of teachability in him that is offensive to God to the point that the death sentence is the requirement. And um, I think number one, we need to understand there is a clear right and wrong with God. James says there's no shadow of turning in him. But even though God is not always making a point of it, shaking the earth and swallowing people alive down into the pits, nevertheless, God requires righteousness. God requires purity from his people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into hands of the living God. In Lamentations 3.2, though the Lord's mercies were not consumed. It sounds like we should be consumed. If God was going to be just and righteous, we wouldn't make it through even another day. But because of his mercies, we make it another day because his compassions fell not. God, number two, was clear in his word about the covenant of circumcision for the lineage of Abraham. I'm not going to read it all, but in Genesis 17, verse 9 through 14, God made a covenant with Abraham and said, this is going to happen to all your descendants, not Gentiles, but the Jewish descendants, throughout all generations, never is going to end. And uh, every male at the eighth day is to be circumcised and uh, there is no exceptions to this rule. And then he says at the very end of Genesis 17, 14, whoever does not circumcise in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. As you study out that term, cut off, it means put to death. <laughs> they did have one other option where they could kick him out of the land. But almost every time it means put to death. So God made it pretty clear. If you don't circumcise your kids, or you yourself are not circumcised, it's a death penalty. So God was not overreacting here. God was not this some strange momentary outburst. This fire 
has been burning for a very long time. However old his son was, I'm assuming since he married his wife Sephora as soon as he got there, he was 40. <laughs> he probably had kids soon thereafter. But So this kid's got to be in his 20s at least and not his 30s. And he's never been circumcised. And God makes it clear that's the death penalty. So scripturally, God had made it clear that this is what happens in the Old Testament to the Jews who are of the lineage of Abraham. Interesting, in the New Testament, God is equally as passionate that we don't get circumcised now in the New Testament. Look at Galatians 5, verse 1 through 6. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not entangle again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Wow. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law, which James tells us nobody could do that. You have become estranged from Christ. You have attempted to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. What? By grace we're saved. For though we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, how? By faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's faith working through love. So there are people that get circumcised because doctors think it's a good idea. They think it's a more cleanly way, a healthier way for a a, a boy to, to, to live his life, to be circumcised. That's fine. It's a medical procedure that's happening, but it's not to keep some the beginning of 613 laws. And one of them is to be circumcised. So now you got 612 laws. No, Paul equally so makes it clear that if you are thinking you need to sort of bend and keep some Judaism laws to be righteous and as a Christian, absolutely not. Number three, there's a stricter judgment from God for those who are going to speak for God, Right? In James 3, 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. And Moses was going to be a teacher. And so, in essence, God is saying, I I can't let you, Moses, go down there speaking for me when in your own home, your son's not circumcised. And again, you can read 1 Timothy 3, uh, a man who's going to be a leader in the church needs to have his household in order. And in this Old Testament version of that, Moses clearly did not have his household in order. And Moses, in verse number, the fourth reason, before Moses could have power before man, he needed to have his house in order. First Peter 4, verse 17 and 18. Again, some of these verses are sort of fiery verses. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who obey the gospel of God, who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, (laughs) that's the way Peter describes it. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So it's, it's interesting that you get this sobering sense that even us being sinners on the best day. So uh, out of all the days I live on this earth, 
take my most righteous day that I have. And with that best day I've ever lived, put me in the presence of God. And I'm going to be like Isaiah undone, right? I think C.S. Lewis in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, he gets it right. Remember the beaver is speaking and he's talking to Susan and, and, and he says to Susan, now Ashlyn is a lion, the lion, you know, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Question mark. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. The beaver then says, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. I just think that, that, that mixture is just perfect. So on the best day of my righteousness, I am still, my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And God, being good as he is, it's still a fearful thing <laughs> to be in the presence of a lion. And this is, again, where Moses, or all of us, are really seeing accurately God through the lens of this story of Moses' life. And it's just a reminder that all of us are ministers of God. Do you realize that now in the New Testament? All of us are Moseses. All of us are to speak, to let my people go. <laughs> wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever your relatives are, whoever they may be, whatever sphere of influence you can get, all of us are going, saying, let my people go. Because God has a calling on their life. Jesus paid for their sins. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, it's this full person, this person that has a, an available spirit, a teachable heart, a willingness to say, Lord, whenever, however, wherever, I don't care. Yes, 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 thy will be done. And Moses was not that person. He was kicking his feet going down there, his own home life was seriously, in God's eyes, messed up. His wife was clearly not in submission. She realized when Moses is pinned down and can't do anything about it, she knew exactly what God wanted, and she was saying no. And she was telling Moses no, she was telling God no, and no one's touching my son with that crazy, pagan, hedonistic, Hebrew circumcision stuff. That's nuts. It's weird. You're not going to circumcise my kid. And there it is. 
Moses is going to die if she doesn't quickly grab a piece of flint off the ground. This is not very hygienic, and it's not, not the perfect conditions. And she cuts off the foreskin of her son's penis and takes it and throws it at Moses and lays it at his feet. You are a husband of blood to me. It's a crazy story, but yet it has the sense of us every day living in this sinful world and these sinful bodies of how we need to constantly realize, God, you're so full of grace, but yet your desire is clear as can be to be holy as you are holy. You've not thrown that out the window and said, let's just all be happy and just do the best you can. Don't worry about it. It's, it's not that sense whatsoever. Well, finishing up here in verse 27 to 31. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So the Lord spoke to Aaron. This is pretty cool. I wonder if Aaron ever had God speak to him before. But all of a sudden he has a clear moving in his heart. His spirit, I don't know, an angel, I don't know, but he knows he's supposed to walk out of of the city and go out into the wilderness, which I don't think this slave did very often. And he found Moses. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed when they heard that the Lord Yahweh had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction and they bowed their heads and worshiped. The response that Moses wanted so badly 40 years earlier. (laughs) But they're like, what are you going to do? Kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? They had no idea, and Moses was shocked that they had no idea. He thought it was so obvious to everybody, all the Hebrews, what God was doing through him and using him. But 40 years later, when it seems like Moses really doesn't care, (laughs) they now have the reception that Moses earlier wanted. And of course, there is no greater joy on this earth, I am convinced of, than to tell somebody about Jesus and what he's done on the cross, forgiving their sins. And as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And to see them pray the prayer, Lord, forgive me, be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sins and raising again from the dead. Be my Lord. Ah, to be there in that moment. It's so powerful, isn't it? And, uh, and here they got to see that very thing.